Welcome to the Glory Podcast. We're so glad that you're listening. Our mission is to declare God's glory. Please visit glorychurchkc.com to hear all of our other messages. What's up, Glory Church family? It is Pastor Greg, and this particular message, we experienced some technical difficulties to the beginning. So for our podcast friends, for those who are listening right now, this is going to be a little different intro, Um, but then you will hear, we'll pick back up where we were able to uh, get back online with our friends, but I lost, I lost the intro of the message. And so here I am, I'm going to do it this way, and then you will hear, obviously, the audio change when we get back live and where I was on Sunday morning. Um, but I was introing this message, and if you are with us at all, if you've been tuning in, we're in a uh, seven-week series. We had an intro week, and this is now uh, week three, technically, though only our second value. We're in a, a, a series over the values of Glory Church, and we call it Bringing It Home, that it's all about taking the values of glory into the homes of glory. And if you remember from last week's message, if you listened, uh, it is when we deem the things of God as valuable and significant, when we actually actually see them as real and valuable, that that is when we start experiencing the things of God, his peace, his love, his hope. And often we value other things as more important. And so we struggle with hope. We struggle with peace. We struggle with experiencing his love. And so this is really saying these six core values, which honestly, I believe are etched in scripture. They're not just something that I've claimed over our church family, but they're something that I live out. They're the reason my marriage is successful. These values, not just because I have them over our church, but because I have them over my life. And so last week was we live his truth, right? And as I said last week, uh, every single one of these series, uh, these sermons, will have a homework assignment to it because we cannot actively live out what we leave on a Sunday. If we leave it on a Sunday, then it's not going to be taken with us. And if it's not going to be taken with us, then it won't be brought and lived out. And so there will be a homework assignment. If you were with us last week, that was fasting last week. So we took a five-day fast as a church, and I've heard great stories from it. But for this specific week, If you're taking notes or you're listening on a car ride, uh, this second value is honestly one of my favorites. And it was so sad to lose some people on uh, technical difficulties on Sunday morning, but I'm excited to be able to do it still this way. Um, The value is that we love our neighbor. And so I told our church that Sunday, uh, and you'll hear the audio change in a minute when we get back in, but I told our church this intro story that my wife and I, we've experienced, Kate and I have experienced now almost a decade in church ministry. I've experienced the ugliness of the church organization. Maybe you have too, where you have realized that uh, loving our neighbor might be easier said than done. I mean, Jesus knew what he was doing when he said this is the second greatest commandment, not just because it is so important, but also because it is so hard to do. We do not technically, we do not easily love people. We still have personal bias. We have preferences. We have distinctions. We've created evaluations of people, whether they are worth our time, whether they are worth our attention. And so I was in the message uh, sharing a story. It was a day when literally one huge long day, it felt like forever, where this value drove home to me. 
It was about five years ago, four years ago, and I stood in front of our church uh, at the time. It was now what would now be our sending church. And the idea of church planting was very nearer to my heart than ever before. And I stood in front of this church and I got to lead. It was one of the last things I did in this church in, in Northwest Arkansas. It was one of the last things. And I led this campaign for our church. It was a church of about 600, 700, and we started this campaign, made shirts. We created this whole thing that year, and it was called For Siloam. Siloam Springs was a city, though, and so it was this for campaign, F-O-R, that we would be for our city, that we would be for real people, that we would not be another church that would be known by what it, what we, who, who we were against or what we were against, but we would be a, a church known by what we were for. And so I started this off with a sermon. I had the opportunity to speak that morning and I gave, uh, God was wrestling with me that week. And I taught, I read the Good Samaritan story in my time of study and I saw it in a way that was different than ever before. And what I fleshed out that day for, for a church of 700 would later become a core value of this place. It would later be spoken again and again and again in vision lunches where I would teach this core value using three words that were formed in this message. And so I stood in front of those, that church and I taught the, the Good Samaritan story, right? If you know it, Jesus is talking to a group of people and, and he says like the second greatest commandment is to love our neighbor and I'll tell you this story. There was a man, right? He, t- he tells the people there's a man who was robbed on a side of the street and left half dead. And in the story, he says, there are two individuals, a priest and a Levite who notice the man, but they walk on the other side of the street. They avoid him and they leave him where he's at. And then there is a Samaritan, later called the Good Samaritan, who notices him, who picks him up, who actually goes in. He has compassion on the man. He bandages his wounds. He uses his own money, his own donkey to carry him to take care of him with an inn, a stay at a hotel, and he watches over the man. Now, in the story, Jesus then looks at the people, the listeners, and he says, who proved to be a neighbor of the man? And obviously, all of them say the Samaritan, dumbfounded. This man who should be an enemy to the Jews is the best one in the story. And that day, in that congregation, to that church, I said, you cannot be for, you cannot love who you, these three things, who you avoid, who you are above, and you, who you enable. And I flushed that out. I drove it home that we cannot love who we're above, who we avoid, and who we enable. And I finished the sermon. It was powerful. It was so fun. And then I was in the lobby. And here's where we picked up on the, the live stream. Are you ready? I, I said, I was in the lobby and a man comes forward and within five feet of me, I could smell him. Guys, he, he was not dressed well. He has disheveled hair. He was missing teeth. And his name is Kevin. And he came up close to me and he said, Pastor, I had no idea what he was going to say. Um, and honestly, it didn't start off well. He said, Pastor, I came into your church. I'm homeless. My wife and I, we are actually driving south uh, to Louisiana. We drove into your city just on a Sunday looking for a church. We're not here to stay. Um, but my wife wasn't dressed right. So she's out in the car. And I came in. Um, but when I got in here, no one greeted me and I was like, oh no, you know, it's like a stab in the heart. You're in this conversation. He says, no one greeted me. People looked at me, but they kept their own way. They, they, they literally tried to dodge me with their looks. And I remember thinking, where is this going? This is not good. 
And he said, but then you got up there to speak. And I felt so strongly the love and grace of God as you talked. He said, what kept me in the building was you. And I like, it stabbed me. And he that day shared with me, he gave me a word. He said, he said, God showed me something. God told me something for you. And he told me a word that I'm not ready to share to the church yet. I mean, it's still being unfolded, but it was so powerful. I hugged Kevin and then he left, went down, right? And it's this interaction, this conversation, this story uh, where I, we will pick up on the live message on Sunday. Uh, so join in as we dive into loving our neighbor. But he said, in, while you were talking, I experienced love. It was powerful. It was powerful. But what I realized that day, and then the day wasn't even over. When I say that this, this hit home, that night, are you ready? The story continues. That night, in the middle of the night, a neighbor of mine broke into my home. Like, when you've heard the story, now put it together in the context. I just taught love your neighbor. Kevin just spoke to me saying, I felt love from you. And in that, in that night, a neighbor broke into my home. Glass was shattered, blood was there, our living room was a wreck, it looked like a crime scene. Uh, I held him in a chokehold, the, the cops came, we were both wound up in the ER. Uh, I had to learn that day how do you adequately love your neighbor, because the, ne- the days following we discovered one, he was my neighbor, two, his family felt isolated. Now that this happened, they were ashamed of everything. How do you love what you want to avoid? What you want to know be above? What, what do you, how do you love what you want to enable? And God just put, took me on this, this, this journey of how do I really love? Because if we kept avoiding Kevin in that building, we would have enabled everything going on in his life that was uh, speaking those lies, that he didn't belong that the Lord wasn't real for him, that, that this church was just a full of fake people. Like all of these lives would have been enabled if I would have avoided it. So love is huge. Love is huge. I remember love like breaking forth in my home after that happened. I remember love like love breaking into a home is way more powerful than fear breaking into a home. And I've had both. Love breaking into a home uh, salvations happened. My twins came to know Jesus through the conversations of that wasn't a bad uh, man. It was a man who did a bad thing. He doesn't know. He doesn't know the Lord. And so these conversations, love transforms things. This is a value that has to be brought into our homes. It is. Because like what I do know to be true is uh, we all have very uh, personal preferences. Uh, if, you're, if you're back with us, sorry about that. Maybe you've seen this. Guys, if y'all want to help, like, if you want to go to the live stream right now and reshare it for people, be like, hey, come back in. I'm sorry we lost you. Uh, forgive us. Uh, go ahead. On, if you're on Facebook, you can, I think they just started it again. Um, and so you can, yep, Miss Ron's like, it's on, it's on. So go ahead. Uh, that would be awesome. But we are, uh, cannot do anything with love if a few things run in our lives. And a lot of them have to do with our personal preferences. You're going to read that in James. You want to struggle with loving, loving your neighbor? It's all, like, if you want to go all the way back to the heart of it, it's you have made distinctions 
James will say, among yourselves. You, you have uh, decided some things are valuable, other things are not. It, some things are worth your time, other things are not worth your time. Certain issues are easier for you to deal with, other ones you want to pass on to another. Uh, preferences are the number one way that the enemy can halt us from loving people. There are some sins that you are slow to forgive, and other sins that you are quick to forgive. While the love of the Father forgives all. And so it's just like, we, we preferences are the number one thing that has kept us as believers from loving other people I prefer, or I would rather. I'll do that, but I like, I would rather do something else. It's that built-in biasness, that built-in uh, distinguishment that you're starting to evaluate things that destroy us, that destroy our ability to love. And so James writes this. He says, my brothers and sisters, do you, with your acts of favoritism, really believe, do you really believe in our glorious Lord Jesus? <laughs> For if a person with gold rings and fine clothes comes into your assembly, and if a poor person named Kevin with dirty clothes also comes in, and if you take notice of the one wearing fine clothes and say, hey, have a seat here close to me, the seat of honor, the seat beside me, while to the one who is poor, like my friend Kevin, you say, stand there or sit at my feet. Have you not made distinctions among yourself and become judges with evil thoughts? And this, and as that like remains up, I just want to tell you like that distinction literally means you set up, you, you gauged now what is worth your time and what isn't worth your time. You've made evaluations on people. The most damaging thing we can do is allow our mind through our eyes to start grading people, rating people. Uh, we naturally do it, right? You feel welcome in people that look like you. You already are making evaluations in a room based off of the look of the place. But that will prohibit real love, day in, day out. When we walk into a room and start making distinctions, love will not be our first reaction. It will not be our first reaction. It will not be our first action following. We will distinguish. And we distinguish what sins, you know, I won't deal with. I'll push under the rug. We'll, we'll distinguish some things that I'm willing to do. I mean, I do it in my home. Like, I distinguish uh, the things that I have pity on for my kids. And other ones, I'm like, get up. Get over yourself. You just fell down the stairs. I get it. Like, you do it all the time. And I, like, I lack, like, mercy, right? We do this. We distinguish things as worthy of our attention and not worthy. Right. I'll deal with it this time. Know that friend, they've been dealing with this for too long. I'm tired of it. I don't want to anymore. And these distinguishments, these evaluations hurt our love. They hurt our love. But did you notice like our three words? Do you remember the three words? Uh, avoid, above, enable. Those three words are actually in this old passage. Maybe you missed it. Maybe you, you saw it. But they're in there. It literally says avoid. The word avoid, right? Stand there. Stand there. It says to Kevin, you said stand there. You see, we cannot love when we avoid. That's and right. this, this interaction is still in this, this passage where they say stand there. And notice it's, it's still an interaction though. I wrote a few, like, they're still making a connection. This is important. Some of you think avoidance means that you're always, you're like, I don't want to avoid people. I don't, I don't avoid people. 
I interact with people. Ah, you interact with people. Interaction is not engaging. Interaction is still avoidance. Engaging with is love. And think of it this way, like, I interact with the thought to do good things. I'm not going to do it until I actually engage with that thought with the Lord into action. Many of you, you interact with that person, you say hi, but then you leave them. You interact with it, I have a spot for you to stand over there. But that's very different than engaging with the Lord. Many of you, you interact with that friend that you feel distant. You interact with that person. You interact with the neighbor. You say, hi, how are you doing? Oh, good. That's not, interaction is still avoidance. If it's not engaging with what God is doing in them, through them, in you. And so it takes, like, it's hard. I wrote a few things, like, interacting with that friend who's still going through the same thing is not the same as actually praying to the Lord of how you're supposed to engage with them in this with them. Interacting with that that person on the side of the street who you gave a hand out to is very different than actually saying, I'm going to engage with what God is doing in their life because then you're going to need to know a couple things. What is their name? Where are they at? Can you see them again? What is their life? What is, they need to know what your name, this is engaging, that's love. And interaction is still avoidance until it engages. See, James is like, brothers, you can't just tell someone they have a spot in a room. Yes, sir. That's not love. That's right. You can't just tell someone that they, have, they can come to church with you Jesus. if you're not going to engage with them every that's day. Right. Yeah. If you're not going to walk life with them. And that's why. That's the point. That's why you don't love. <laughs> because walking with, engaging with, you, yeah. it's a little hard. Think about it. You can't just interact with the life. You can't just interact with the sinner at the bar. You can't just interact with the struggle. You can't just ar- interact with that friend's burden, the hurting, the stuck, the ugly, the broken, the demonic spirit that's at work. And some of you are like, I don't like the word spirit. All right. That, that bad attitude. You can't just interact with it. Telling someone to get over it, whether they have a bad attitude, is not how you love. You can't just interact with the bad way of thinking. You have to engage in what God is doing with them, through them, in it. And that's a whole nother level. Because if we don't, I wrote some, simply interacting still avoids the issue. It still avoids any type of healing. It still avoids any change in their life. It still avoids any hard topic, what is really going on. Some of you, you know your friends are stuck in a sin cycle. But you're too afraid to share the truth with them. That's right. And you've let them stay in their hard heart, which though you're like, they just, they're fine. They're not. They're struggling. Interacting with what someone is doing and being an open, open listener is not the same as engaging with them. Because if you're engaged with them and they claim Jesus in their heart, but they're struggling with sin and, and it's unrepentant, then actually loving would be speaking like Jesus does. We'd be speaking like Jesus, but sometimes it's hard truth. That's love. But we want to avoid, and so things remain. You can't just provide a space for someone to be if you're not going to love them, be present with them. And so it's just very different. Uh, I wrote this, interaction is not love, it is avoidance. Master with the pretty face. Like some of you need to know that. It's not a slide up there, but interaction is not love. 
It is avoidance with a pretty face. I will smile at you just like they do at Starbucks or Chick-fil-A. I'll hand you your food and you go on your merry way. That interaction was great. And I pat my back on it because it was, I did it. But that's a pretty face of order. That's a pretty face. And then when they leave, all they see is you. Now I just, I'll I'll keep going on that, but think about it. Like when you're interacting, it's not the mercy and love of God. That is the greater voice in the room. It's sometimes your annoyance is greater voice. Uh, when you're interacting or your frustration is the greater voice going on in your mind. When you're interacting, instead of the mercy and love of God being the voice, the reason, it's sometimes like your, your, uh, your frustration or, your, or your, your readiness to get away, all of that. So it, it's just fun. It's fun to avoid, right? Because you don't have to deal with it. But what if we actually said it? But did you notice the second word as well? Like, it's not just avoiding that was in this passage, but also, like, it says this. It says, while to the poor one, to my friend Kevin, you say, stand there, avoid, or sit at my feet, that I may be above you. Dude, they're both there. They're both there. Now, this is really interesting uh, because it's not just like, sit at my feet, but it's this posture change, whether it's just spoken posture change or a heart posture of, I'll help you, but I want to help you knowing that I'm still like above you. And like, I'll, I'll let you be with me. In fact, that's close. You can come close. I'll interact with what you're doing. But again, this is a handout. I can, I can leave and you'll still be there on the ground where you're at because you are below. Now this is the most dangerous thing. We do this a lot as Christians. Like I am, uh, I'm not above like being a friend with them, but I am above spending that much time with them. I'm not above being a friend with them, but I am above actually like revealing too much about myself with them. I'm not above like helping them, but I am above actually like doing life with them. I'm not above like uh, going to church, but I am above serving at the church. Uh, like loving your neighbor leads you to doing things. I'm not above like uh, giving or helping, but I am above doing that thing. Doing that thing, and we don't intentionally do this, but we do do it. We do do it, and, and it's so hard. Like I, I, I wrote this. Like we cannot be above the things of God. Because honestly, like, what it is is doing, um, it makes my friends, your neighbors, then look to you for what they need. Because you brought them to your feet, and then they're looking to you for what they need. And it's a messed up reality. Mm -hmm. Did you know, like, the the kingdom of God has all the riches that any poor person in the world needs? But the enemy wants to believe, wants everyone to believe that the wealthy are my avenue. And, and that's why Peter, uh, John were like, the riches I don't have for you, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus, stand up and be healed. Because then he can live a sustained life of making his own income. And, and it, so there's this power in this, but the, the world, like, when we set people below us, they will look to us for their needs. But real discipleship is... Mirror me as I mirror God. Amen. Follow me as I follow God. Yes. In other words, 
in this engaging life, not interacting life, but in this engaging life, you're seeing me look up. You're seeing me need things. And then you're looking at how to, that's love. You're looking at where to love, you're, or look to. Like, you're looking. And so love is a little bit different than what we think. We're not above the things of God. And I think this is where we stumble sometimes. I'm not above having that conversation. Some of you need to say that. I'm not above being truly present with them. Some of you need to claim this. Like, I am not above giving it my all. Like, right now. I'm not above praying for them. I'm not above asking them the hard questions. I am not above the things of God. The very thing that's limiting you from loving your neighbor is often the fact that we just don't want to do the thing of God. We don't want to ask. We don't want to talk. We don't want to pause. We don't want to stop. We don't want to pray. We don't want to deal with those things again. I thought about all the ways that I did this. And so uh, this, is, this is a little humbling to me, but this is also going to step on some of your toes. I think the number one way and the number one reason to why you and I still stay above things is because when it's at our feet, we still have the opportunity. You're at my feet. When, when you're at my feet, I still have the opportunity to look over and see something better to spend my time with. And this is the number one reason why I cannot really love her. Because while I'm talking and interacting with her, I'm also looking at other things that I could be doing with my time, with my energy, with my resources, with my gifts. Some of you interact with the church, but the church is still at your feet. And so if something better comes up on a Sunday morning, you'll be there. If something better comes up on a day for your small group, you'll still be there. Why? Because your small group is at your feet and not in your life. Your small group is below you. You have the people in your life who are godly. They're still below you. Why? Because uh, your life is a little different. And your life is a little different. But if people were truly even with us, then when we're with them, we're not seeing beyond them. We're dealing with what's going on. We're dealing with who they are. We're dealing with what their needs are right now. We're dealing with me and my life. We're not constantly looking at our phone for what's next. We're not planning ahead. We're being present. Yeah. I cannot be above someone if I'm down with them. Right? I can't. And so if you want to write, like, this is something love is saying, I am all in here. I'm all in here. So you need to start saying that to things. At work, I will be all in here. In this conversation with my boss, I'm going to be all in here. Why? Because I'm going to truly interact and engage with what God is doing in this conversation. And when I'm with my, my friends, I'm going to be all in here. I'm going to be all in. Wherever I am, I'm going to be in. Because that's how you love your neighbor. It is. Like when I'm present, I'm going to be present. I'm not going to be looking beyond. I'm going to be here. When I'm walking with my kids, and this has been life-changing, um, I would say I will, I will take a nod from my wife. I feel like I've learned how to be with my children this past year, right? Yeah, Kate says yes. I, can, I, I did not used to do that. I got really frustrated when they would struggle with easy tasks. I would get really frustrated. Um, but to be processing with my children, to get down and say, where did that lie come from? Like, let's talk through this. Let's actually engage with this. There's a difference. I'm all in here. Guess what that makes my daughter Autumn feel when she sees that I'm all in here? Right? It's a game changer. She feels love. 
What does it feel like when people are all in with you? You feel like you can do anything. You feel unstoppable. That's what we are to provide to people. Uh, I'm all in. I'm all in on who he's mending right now. I'm all in on what he's speaking right now. I'm all in on who, uh, who he's wanting me to pray over. I'm all in on what's going on in my life. I'm like, I'm all in. I'm, I'm here. I'm present. And the last word is actually found in uh, what that was what was left with Kevin, the poor person. In the story of James, remember, you, you have him over there, or you sit him at your feet, right? And the story continues. Uh, because the last word, enable, is what happens when the avoiding and the above nature keep happening. He says, verse 8, you do well if you really fulfill the royal law, according to scripture. You love your neighbor as yourself. But if you show partiality, if you avoid or are above, if you commit a sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressor. In other words, you let that sinning keep happening. You enable the structure of, 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 of the fallen nature. You enable the structure of the lies. You, enable, you keep it going. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails at one point, I think we can all agree that we've done this, are accountable for all of it. For the one who said, you shall not murder, or commit adultery, also said you should not murder. So if you don't commit adultery, or Jesus says, if you don't lust, but you uh, hate, and he says you murdered them, then you, uh, you still are accountable to the law. You're, so you're still a transgressor. And so verse 12 says, so speak and act like those who are judged by the law of freedom. That's a difference. You see, when we can enable people in this uh, structure of, uh, of sin, or we can live differently in this law of liberty, this freedom attached that there's mercy, and it continues for the one like who's judging, little mercy will be given. But then it says this, mercy triumphs over judgment. It's beautiful. Mercy triumphs. So like, in other words, if you want to see this enabling come out, Think of this, you can write this, if mercy is not shown, then judgment and the structure of injustice will remain. That's what it means to enable someone. If I don't truly love them, if I don't truly tell them that they're stuck in sin, and they're claiming Jesus, but they're still there in the sin, and it's not working, if I don't truly open that up and talk it out, then I will leave them in their judgment. And it's not always, it doesn't mean like hell. Like, but the judgment sometimes is the shame that's going on in their life that they're trying to act like isn't there. The guilt, the, the worry, the fear, the isolation, all of that is the judgment of sin. It's not, it should not happen to a believer, right? But we get there when we get stuck in our sins. And worse than that, like, we let the structure of injustice remain. The structure of injustice. In other words, like, Kevin, my friend who came to speak to me, the good Samaritan story, the man who was robbed, the judgment of their life would have remained if something didn't change. One would have died on that street, half dead, he was already, you know, ticking, the, the clock was ticking for him to die. Judgment would have been there. But also the structure of injustice, the fact that he was wrongly hurt. 
It's not right for him to be bleeding on the ground. The structure of injustice, it was not right for my friend Kevin to be feeling that. It was not right that the poor should be under the, the beautiful, like, clothed well people. That's a system of injustice that would be remained. He would have left and gone about his day if mercy wasn't shown. But mercy triumphs over judgment, day in and day out. So, man, you guys can make your, your way up, but I just want to, like, as we close, I'm going to put it this way. Don't get distracted by the van to move it on up here. But I'm just going to put it this way. Did you realize that everywhere you walk, everywhere you go, there is a structure of injustice already put in place there? Like, I didn't, like think of it. Many of you work, right? There's already a structure of hierarchy where people feel like they're not seen and they have to prove themselves in certain ways in order to be seen. There's a structure of injustice running our jobs already. Even in this room, already you walk in and sadly the enemy is always at work. A structure of injustice. Uh, what you should have worn, what you shouldn't have worn. There's a structure of injustice in our city of, of racism. There's a structure of, of injustice with poverty. It's, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. But when we do not love, it remains. It remains. When we avoid issues, when we stand as above, when we're constantly looking for what's better for us, it remains. And in turn, it actually hardens our heart. It hardens us. It hardens us. It's like as we leave it off, like I told you guys that every single uh, one of these messages is going to be a homework, right? Every single one of these messages is a homework. It's like, last week was fasting, this week is this. Are you ready? I was telling our small group leaders that I feel like, uh, y'all be with me in this, all right? I feel like last semester, the enemy did a number in a lot of y'all's lives. The church in general, where people hungered for community and closeness, but they were getting isolation. Yeah. Uh, I see this where, where relationships were strained and pulled. Maybe you expected something and the expectations weren't met and you spiraled and didn't know what your place was. Uh, you felt isolated or alone and things and it just wasn't working. What happens typically when we avoid issues in our life and when we stand as above things, when we're constantly looking for what's better, and some of you did that in your relationships this past semester. I want to look for what's better. I'm just going to keep, I'm, I'm here, but also like my job. I want to, I want to make a certain number. So that's where I want to be. Like, I, I'm going to focus on that. And when we do that, not only does it enable a hardship around us, but it starts enabling this calloused heart for us as well, where we don't even feel love. So I'll, I just believe this past semester, many of you, did a number of avoiding, and you did a number of standing above, and you felt the repercussions of what you were enabling. And in turn, like your own heart was hardened for the love of God. And you're like, I'm interacting, like I'm doing these things, but like I'm not feeling you, God. Where are you? You're getting mad at people for it. It's this pause of saying, what have I been avoiding in my own life? Because you remember it's to love your neighbor as yourself. 
to avoid things in yourself. If you're above that issue in yourself, then you will inevitably be uh, enabling some things and prohibiting love from being around. It's this like cyclical fun thing. Like the enemy knows what he's doing. So your homework is Jesus looks to the audience after teaching this Good Samaritan story, and he said, who proved to be the neighbor of the robbed man? What an interesting way to say this. Who proved to be the neighbor? Your homework assignment is, how do you prove to be the neighbor of that person? How do you prove to be the neighbor? How are you? What are the things that you've been avoiding that you need to talk out? What are the things that you've been avoiding in your own life you need to talk out? How can you prove to be a neighbor to someone? What is that thing that you've been above but you actually need to say I'm all in? How can you prove to be a neighbor? Now I know that that's better like left said than actually done. And so I'm going to like pray over you. I don't want you guys to close your eyes in this. Uh, I want you to actually, if you have notes, start writing something down. If you have a phone, start typing it up. Because as I pray over you in this place, if you don't claim how you would actually love your neighbor, how you would actually prove to be that neighbor, if you don't actually look in introspection and see what you've been avoiding, you're not going to do it. Let's bring it home. So I'm going to pray. You guys are going to write or type. God, in this room right now, you need to put up some some hard topics in their life. God, right now, I just pray that some insecurities from this past uh, few months have just rise to the surface of things that they have been avoiding in their own life. Some things that they've been avoiding in other people. God, topics, people that they have uh, interacted with, but have not been pointing to you. And so they've they've taken this posture of being above. Where they're constantly the one on call, and they've been ruled there by them. But they're the one on call to this friend who's hurting, but they never point them actually to you. One, because they never show how they go to you, but yet they're wondering the whole time why they haven't felt loved. So you've got to pray in this moment right now that the system of injustice that has been remained in the people in this room would be broken in the name of Jesus. That they would experience your mercy for them. The overall compassion that in their sin, you die. Let that be a starting point. We love because you loved us. So God, I want to write how I can prove to be a neighbor, but not from this place of I need to be better, but from this place of, of God loves me so much I cannot help but lead this to action. I need to right this wrong. I need to not avoid this anymore. And so God, I pray every person has typed something up. Has written something down. We pray this in your name, Jesus, for your glory. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Glory Podcast. For more information about this message or Glory Church, please visit glorychurchkc.com.